On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I talk about what is going on in the stock market right now, how I failed 75 hard, and I give you an update on my dad. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 57 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. This podcast is the story of growing a business, of growing as a person and of taking on some fairly unusual challenges, sometimes on my own, sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. My aim with this podcast is to make sure that every time you hit play, you learn something new. And with that said, here we go, it is episode number 57, and it has been a busy few weeks since we last spoke, Um, on every front, right? Sometimes I'll sit here and I'll tell you that it's been a busy couple of weeks in business, or that I've been, you know, traveling here, there and everywhere, and it's been busy on a personal level. But these last two weeks, on just every level you can imagine, have been so busy and so all in. And so I think for the first time in a while, there really is quite a lot to update you on. Um, and I've, I've, I've scribbled down some notes in front of me. They are in no particular order. There is no, uh, no chronological order here. I'm just going to talk, tell you what's been going on, share some thoughts and go from there. Uh, and the first thing to bring you up to speed on is something that I was actually hesitant to talk about two weeks ago when I sat down and recorded the last episode like this because it was in motion back then. But it just wasn't something that I was ready to process out loud, which is that a couple of weeks ago, I got a phone call from the care home where my dad was living at the time. And they basically said that um, his his agitation, his uh, anger, for want of a better word, was getting worse and worse as he was cooped up in this uh, this care home, not being able to see anybody, not being able to do anything with nothing to stimulate him. uh, And they couldn't get him the support that he needed from his GP or from different NHS bodies or from different departments who deal with younger people with dementia. And so for his own safety and the safety of others around him, um, they moved him to hospital. And this happened a couple of weeks ago. And at that point, it was really difficult to process what that meant in as much as moving a relative into a care home for all of the benefits that come along with it, for all of the reasons why it is sometimes the right and the proper and the best thing to do, it's always this huge hurdle in our minds, right? And we crossed that hurdle uh, about this time last year when it became obvious that that was the route where things were going. And so you almost consider, uh, or at least I almost considered, past tense now, a care home as like the Uh, the place that takes care of all of the issues right as in things get to a point whereby we at home can't deal with things and so um, somebody's moved into a care home and they are equipped and able to support your relative in whatever way uh, that relative needs support and so when a couple of weeks ago we got that phone call saying that they couldn't help him essentially it was a really confusing few days trying to get in touch with the care home and communicate with them or trying to get through to the hospital ward and communicate with, uh, in fairness to them, they seem absolutely rushed off their feet right now. They just seem so, so busy. So I didn't want to be wasting their time by phoning every day. But 
there were a few days where it didn't seem immediately obvious what the plan of action was from here, right? There was a care home who said that they could no longer look after my dad effectively. There was a hospital uh, within which he was staying, but obviously couldn't, can't stay there forever because that's not what hospital wards are designed for. And we really didn't know what was happening or what to do. And um, it's interesting because at that moment, a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like things could never work themselves out. Like I just couldn't, for the life of me, see how there would be a perhaps an encouraging or a positive step forward from the situation that my dad was in a couple of weeks ago. And so the discharge team at the hospital looked for other places that could better support his needs. And they came back to us and they gave us the name of a care home that they recommended he move into that truthfully looked like a shithole. Like the reviews were terrible. The CQC report was really anything but ideal. The photos were just, it looked not like somewhere where I'd want to live. But in that situation, we understood that he had to go somewhere, right? The last place you want somebody to be when they have dementia is on a busy, active hospital ward during COVID for all number of reasons. And so we agreed that, yep, okay, if that's the only place that can meet his needs right now, um, let's go ahead with the move to, let's call it care home number one. And then by some absolute quirk of luck, I got a call a couple of days later from the discharge team and they said that because care home number one had uh, taken on a couple of other residents recently who had similar challenging needs like my dad, it wouldn't be safe or appropriate for them to take on somebody else on that particular day, the day when he was set to be discharged. And so the discharge team had to go back to square one. They had to start looking for other places where my dad could go and live to get the care that he needs. And they stumbled upon a place which I'm told is one of the, if not the most expensive care home uh, in the entire area, like in the entire county. It's actually on the border of another county um, and it's also very expensive there. Like it is wildly expensive, funded through the CHC because he is technically still under the care of the hospital. They just don't want him in um, a hospital ward. And my brother and my mum have popped up there today to drop off some of his clothes and by the sounds of things, this place is incredible. From the building and the way it's purpose designed and recently built to really accommodate for and consider the needs of people with dementia through to the level of attention and care that the staff take to get to know everybody who lives there and react very carefully and accordingly to things that they say. Uh, for example, I was just told that my dad arrived there and one of the things that he would always talk about is he wants to go down the pub because that's the thing he used to do. In the previous care home, whilst I have nothing bad to say about them, they weren't really equipped to do anything about that other than just redirect his conversation. This place, they sit him down, they go to their mini fridge which has all sorts of non-alcoholic beers in they get him a beer because that's what he wants he's talking about david bowie so they put on music that he wants it just sounds like a really incredible place and you know i don't know if he will continue to live there for years to come because i don't know how the funding will work at such a point when he's discharged from the care of the hospital but what i do know is that in amongst all of these bad negative um, effects of coronavirus right 
right the way from the fact that he was stuck in that first care home and couldn't really see his family and didn't understand why, through to the fact that when he was getting worse and worse, doctors, departments, NHS teams just couldn't get out to the care home to see him, through even to the fact that he had to spend uh, two weeks on a active hospital ward during COVID. Like, all of those negative things seem to have led to a positive place and a better place, right? In a literal sense, like, this place is better and this place is better equipped and better prepared to look after him and give him the help that he needs. So where things go from here, I don't know, but now that there is some sort of ending to this short story that's been uh, taking place over the last couple of weeks, it feels more appropriate and more apt to talk about it now. And so as things stand right now this evening, um, he seems to be settling in, they seem to be great, and so there is a happy ending to what has been a fairly stressful and a fairly uh, confusing few weeks. I say confusing because, like I say, we didn't know what happens. Like, what happens when a care home can't care for somebody? What happens when you're stuck in a hospital ward during COVID? What happens during all of these things? I had a feeling that the answer to those questions was going to be nothing good. But actually, it looks like my dad is in a better place now, so I'm happy about that. And yeah, long may it continue. Okay, and then... The next thing I've written down, completely unrelated again, is absolutely nothing to do with uh, positivity. It's actually that I failed. You may know that I've been doing 75 hard for the last 26 days, I think. And for 26 days in a row, I did the five things, which are two forms of exercise a day for at least 45 minutes. One of them has to be outdoors, following a diet, drinking two and a half liters of water per day, taking a progress picture and reading 10 pages of a book. And if you listened a couple of weeks ago, you will remember that doing those five things every day in sequence without fail becomes a challenge because if you mess up for one day, if you miss one task for one day within those 75 days, you have to start again. And that's what happened yesterday. It was uh, a day that I had scheduled in the same way as every other day in as much as I plan time for different areas of work and different meetings and phone calls. And then in amongst all of that, I schedule in time for uh, the walk or workout number one and workout number two. And that didn't go to plan yesterday to the point whereby during what was going to be the hour that I put aside to go for a walk, I had uh, a phone call, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute actually, because it was an interesting phone call, but I had a phone call And so that time quickly came and went. And then immediately after that, I had a video call, which took about twice as long as I thought it would. So then I was already like two or three hours behind. And then I came back to the office to do some filming, which took longer than I thought it would. And before I knew it, it was 11 p.m. And I went on my walk at 11 p.m. And it wasn't as long as it otherwise would have been. It was definitely less than 45 minutes, like the rules stipulate. And so I'm already thinking like, I could just go along with it. I could just be like, you know what? It wasn't 45 minutes, but fuck it. You know, I tried. And then I was sat on my bed. I wrote last night's email newsletter. I sorted out a few bits that I needed to sort out. And I looked at the time and it was like 20 past midnight. And I had to be up fairly early today. And as you know, I like my sleep. I protect my sleep time because I think it's so important. And at that point, I still had to... Uh, take the progress pick because I hadn't yet done that. I still had to eat about 500 calories. So I had a bottle of Huel that I brought home from the office that was going to be those calories. I had to do a second workout 
and I had to read 10 pages of the book. And I started the second workout. That was the first thing I tried to uh, to get sorted. And it just wasn't happening. To go back to what I said before about it being a mental battle, like I was knackered. I was knackered and I didn't feel like it. And I definitely didn't really have the time if you account for the amount of sleep I needed. And at that moment, I stood up and I looked at my phone and the 75 hard app is essentially a checklist of five things and you can tick them off and there is absolutely nothing that you need to prove to that app to show that you've actually done those things, right? And so I'm looking at the app and I'm thinking, should I just tick them off? Shall I just say I did it today, give myself a break because I know that today has been busy and through no fault of my own, you could argue, I just didn't have the time. Shall I just carry on tomorrow like nothing ever happened because I can tick these boxes and I can say that I've done it and then I can continue with these positive habits, right? Because I had the momentum. Why not just continue? And that's almost what I did. I almost, almost clicked the button and just said, yeah, I did these things. Carry on till tomorrow. Let's roll on day 27. But I couldn't do it. I thought, irrespective of the fact that I'm already a third of the way through this, irrespective of how well I had done so far, I opted to begin this challenge because I want to get to the end of it and I could only and will only get to the end of it if I do it properly. I think it would be far worse for me to get to day 75, tick that final box, have that moment of feeling happy and then realise that actually it wasn't true. Realise that I had taken the easy option of lying to myself and not following through with my commitments because it's a tick box on an app. Nobody would have known. But I thought I can't do that. And the second I tapped the I failed start over button, this this feeling of relief just washed over me. This feeling that when I was stood on the line between being honest and starting again, even though it's the frustrating thing to have to do, or telling myself privately the smallest of lies, but then carrying that lie with me for the next 50 or so days and never really truly completing it. I didn't know which way I was going to step on that line. I didn't know which direction I was going to move in. My thumb hovered over the button for a good couple of minutes on and off. I locked my phone. I thought, no, I'll just carry on. Then I unlocked it. Do I do I hit start over on and off for a couple of minutes? And then I just thought, fuck it. I hit the button. I typed start over. You have to type it into the box to really confirm that you want to erase all of your progress. I hit start over and I felt good because I have opted to follow this very prescriptive set of rules to prove to myself that I can do it. And If the outcome from all of that was that I'm willing to essentially lie to myself, to cut corners, to make an excuse, and then to not fully commit to or complete something, I think that says a lot about me. And so I'm pleased that in the moment when I almost became that person, when I almost carried that with me for the next 50 days, I had it in me to say, no, fuck that. I'd rather take the difficult route. I'd rather start again. I'd rather make this by time I finish at minimum a 102 day challenge because today we're back at day one. I'm actually going to start again tomorrow, giving myself a day off. But the point is, you know, this is going to take 
longer than it otherwise would have. There is every chance that I could fail again and have to start again, but I will continue until it's done because that's the whole point of 75 hard not to turn this into a 75 hard podcast because I know I speak about it every week but I don't know there's uh, think back to what Andrew Tyndall said in last week's episode right he said something like doing things that you don't want to do makes you a better person when he was talking about joining a rowing club when he was at university even though he didn't really like sports even though he definitely didn't want to wake up at 5am. It's in those moments when we do things that we don't want to do, when we take the uncomfortable path, when we um, turn our back on the easy option. That's when we grow. And, you know, these these five challenges in, inside of 75 Hard, they're not the most difficult things to do. But all of the challenge, all of the difficulty is exclusively in that fact that you need to do it day after day, for 75 days and so I will not allow myself to cut a corner on that it's binary right I either do the five things or I don't there's no oh it's okay I'll give myself a break today there's no well I kind of did a workout but got bored halfway through and stopped don't get me wrong there are times in life when it's completely appropriate to ease off the gas there are times in life when it's the right thing to do to give yourself a break or to relax or to switch off But that doesn't exist within this particular challenge that I've chosen to do. And so within this particular challenge, if I fail, I fail. I tell you about it. I start again. That's how it goes. So that's what I've done. And yeah, I'm giving myself a day off just because why not? Um, And then, yeah, tomorrow we go again. And hopefully this time we get to 75 days. And if I don't, then I go again. I'll get there eventually. So there we go. And then the next thing I want to talk about, you're probably already aware of, unless you've been living under a rock for the last week, and it is that of the US stock market right now. Because, you know, I don't talk about stocks, shares, investing, the markets. But what's happening in the US and globally right now, what's happening on Reddit and bleeding over into places like Twitter, what's happening with tens if not hundreds of thousands of private individuals placing their own money in a high stakes bet against large hedge funds and institutions that have gambled and played this system for decades this isn't a financial event this isn't a stock market story this is a cultural phenomenon this is something i truly believe that will have incredibly long-lasting and far-reaching consequences some of which we probably can't yet comprehend because what's happening right now in this David and Goliath battle between hedge funds that are shorting stocks and private investors who are essentially let's let's call it what it is they're pumping and eventually dumping these stocks is really interesting because from what I understand and I don't pretend to have a an in-depth knowledge of the history of short selling but these hedge funds and these private financial institutions have for as long as the stock market has existed essentially gambled within the system and for every winner in the stock market there's a loser right it's a zero-sum game somebody has to buy in order for somebody to sell somebody has to sell in order for somebody to buy and in the middle of it all are also real businesses right and so the fact that a community of strangers 
on Reddit who will never meet each other in real life, who probably don't have an awful lot of money to their names, or at least they didn't until this all kicked off, right? The fact that they can have a coordinated effort towards essentially bankrupting these short sellers by forcing a price higher and higher and higher until such a time that these positions, these shorts need to be closed out, and that's going to cost an awful, awful lot of money. I just think it's incredible. I know people who have shares in these companies. I know people who have elected not to. But whether you have shares or not, whether you've tried to ride the wave or not, whether you have and you've made a profit or a loss, lots of people today, as I recall this, are very low down because of what's happened with Robin Hood, stopping people from buying, therefore stopping the demand, therefore artificially pushing the price down, which in itself is a whole other incredible chapter to this whole thing. What we're witnessing right now in in live action real time, I truthfully believe is one of the most significant and far-reaching cultural events that I have witnessed in my lifetime. And I don't think that's an overstatement. This is literally a battle between billionaires and individuals. And when there's a battle between billionaires and individuals, it's clear that there's normally only one winner. But these individuals are putting up an incredible resistance to all sorts of issues from uh, the, the claims that short positions had been closed out and therefore the price can stop rising now, which is disputed whether or not that happened, through to uh, Robin Hood and other apps who seem to be backed by some of these big funds, um, seizing to take buy orders on these shares, therefore the system, the market, these these funds artificially pushing down the price to close out their positions. Like This is the most remarkable battle on so many levels and yeah i i don't think we've seen the end of this whether or not uh, gamestop whether or not amc whether or not blackberry whether or not nokia is still free 400 percent up this time next week maybe it's higher right maybe gamestop gets to a thousand dollars a share but maybe it goes back down to 40 and the the uh, the shorts get closed out and everyone goes back to doing what they were doing i don't think that anything in the the stock market returns to being exactly the same because I think that lots of areas of uh, private equity, of hedge funds has been exposed to millions of people to show that it is essentially just, for want of a better word, in some cases at least, it's just gambling, it's just playing a system, it's just, um, you know, momentum pushing up or down a price in a certain direction for those to take profit and loss from it and I don't know. Now that the cultural awareness is there, you can't put this back in its cage, I don't think. I don't know where this will take us, but my God, this is going to be incredible to watch over the next few years. And yeah, like I say, I don't think we've seen the end of this, so I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on what's happening in the US stock market, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say, but there we go. And then the next thing I want to talk about literally happened 10 minutes before I hit record on this, which is that... We just had a conversation, me and Richard, with a 17-year-old. He popped in to have a conversation about business. He's the son of a client and he has started his own business and he's looking for uh, guidance, for want of a better word, on what he should be focusing on in order to make best use of his time, in order to grow his business and, you know, one day have like a big, real, tangible business. 
And we got talking about things like business studies, right? Because when you're 17, inevitably, when you when you like business, you uh, you do business studies in school. And my view on business studies is something that I've never really spoken about, mainly because I don't need to, right? It's, it's not that interesting a topic. But I think when you're sat with a 17-year-old who's doing it, but also has a real-world uh, ambition to run a business, it took me back to when I was like 15, 16, in business studies, but also running a business, because there's something I know now that I didn't know at the time that is crucially important. And it is that being successful in business or getting anything done is 95% about being an effective individual and then 5% about having the right systems and processes in place in your business. And by that, I mean that you can understand all of the theories in the world. You can have the frameworks, you can have the systems, the structures, the know-how, but if you as an individual can't plan your time effectively, if you can't find motivation, if you can't uh, sit focus and get work done if you can't handle the difficulty and the stress of those bad days if you can't do all of these things that are not taught in business in school let alone taught they're not even spoken about if you can't do those things you will not run a successful business and you will probably run yourself into the ground right and so this opened up this whole interesting conversation between us where okay what is taught in business studies in school twofold number one it's only ever going to be like top level stuff because time is limited right if you're learning about business for an hour a week it needs to be very skin deep and two um, by the nature of the fact that it is business studies is always going to be more about business than it is being an effective individual but I think that there's a big hole in education at least there was when I was in school which is that theory is great of course it is you need to have a kind of t-shaped knowledge of everything when you're in school so that you can hopefully latch on to something that you find interesting or something that you want to pursue to then go down that rabbit hole in whatever way you want to to then move forward right but at least when I was in school it was never taught to me or even discussed with me how to be an effective individual and yes the phrase um, effective is subjective it's a tongue twister isn't it effective is subjective but I truly think as I look at everybody I know, from entrepreneurs to musicians to doctors to people who are just doing their own thing on the side and working a normal job, right? Everybody I know, the commonality between all of those who are successful and happy is that they know themselves and they know how to motivate themselves and they know how to be productive and they know how to spend and split their time and they know how to manage their money and they know how to uh, spend time alone and consider their thoughts and do all of these things that just are not taught in school but they by a by a mile are the things that make a difference and so I just find it really interesting because business studies or even school really is a thought that I haven't properly revisited in years and so sitting with somebody who is seven years younger than me and therefore still in that education system it was interesting to be able to share um just my opinion because that's all it is really isn't it but just my opinion on what to take away from education but also maybe what to go and learn about yourself because you know the things I would do to be 17 again not least because the years 17 18 19 were like the most fun years of my life so far but also because 
and everybody says this, right? This is the classic statement that everybody makes. But if I knew then what I know now, I would be years ahead. And of course, that's the cliche. And I can't go back to tell myself that. I can't go back to hand those lessons to myself. But I just find it really interesting that if you're 17, 18, 19, and you get onto this train early enough, if you start to learn about just top level theories about productivity, about compounding interest, about focus, about all of these things, the places that a 17 year old could take themselves by time they're even my age, right, which isn't a huge amount of time, it's just incredible. And so I'm excited for this guy. And um, I believe that he is going to go away and learn far more outside of school than he is right now in school. But either way, yeah, it was just, it was an interesting conversation because everything comes down to your ability to manage your time and your focus and communicate with others. And they are things that aren't taught to us. And maybe that's because they're things that have to be learned, right? I look at when I was like 20, 21, so not even that long ago, and my productivity was fucking awful. I would go out three nights a week. I would spend money I didn't really have. Uh, I would be living far more for the gram to show that I'm being busy and productive than I would be actually doing work. I would happily let deadlines and expectations slip. Uh, I would be not focused on the task at hand. Like, there are so many lessons that I've learned since then, and maybe the only way to learn those lessons is firsthand. Maybe that knowledge can't be imparted onto somebody because maybe you have to go through the mistakes, look yourself in the mirror and say, actually, no, I can do or I can be better than this. Maybe that's how I've arrived here. And maybe that's how I'll arrive at the next version of myself, right? We're always all evolving in one direction or another. And so maybe I sit here today saying that I can give knowledge to a 17-year-old and think that that knowledge is valid, but maybe by the time I'm 30, I'll be sitting with a 25 year old and thinking that everything I'm saying right now is wrong, but maybe that's, you know, maybe that's part of the fun of life. It was just an interesting one. Um, and then speaking of interesting conversations, the last thing I wanna tell you about today, to go right the way back to the beginning, is a conversation I had with uh, the manager of my dad's previous care home yesterday. So uh, I won't say her name, but this manager, is somebody who we of course know of because she's been in charge of uh, making sure that my dad's okay for the past seven or eight months and I never really got to know her you know we would phone up to speak to my dad and she'd say hello we'd have a 30 second chat but I phoned up yesterday just to arrange for his possessions to be moved from the one home to the other and what did I ask? I must have asked her something about what was he actually like in the last few weeks because I know that that care home in the same way as every other care home hides things from the family of residents and I don't mean that in a bad way I just mean that if you as a care home manager with 40 residents was phoning up a family at 9pm at night every time somebody was angry or did something that they otherwise wouldn't have done when they weren't ill you would be making negative, pointless, worrying phone calls constantly and you would be adding more and more needless stress in a powerless situation to families, right? So I understand why they don't tell us things. But I just asked, I was like, look, what was he really like in the last few weeks? What caused you to phone that ambulance? And then from there, we got on to talking about the, I believe his name's Paul Bland, the ITV News special report that was about care homes and COVID a few weeks ago, which, by the way, if you haven't watched, you must, it's absolutely crazy 
And I feel like I almost opened a pressure valve because suddenly this lady who I hadn't ever spoken to for more than maybe 90 seconds, we had a 45 minute phone call and it was just really, really interesting to hear her take as somebody who is, make no mistake, literally on the front line of a big part of this battle against COVID, right? How do you keep 40 people safe and sane in a situation that they don't understand, but a situation that deprives them of being able to go outdoors for a year, of a situation that deprives them of being able to see their family for a year, of a situation that causes them to really not know what's going on, but you have to try and explain that world to them, that world that's outside of their uh, scope of awareness, right? And then how do you do all of that when at the beginning of the pandemic, there just wasn't the support. When at the beginning of the pandemic, there were these horror stories of hospitals discharging people with COVID into care homes and then COVID absolutely wiping through dozens and dozens of residents and essentially killing people, right? How do you deal with the prospect of the vaccine and what does that uh promise for the residents of care homes is life about to get back to normal Uh, we spoke about what she learned uh, when she was an icu nurse uh, and what that helps her um, think and do as a care home manager how that guides her thought processes and her decisions it was just the most remarkable conversation and the reason i tell you about it without going into too much detail is because this manager was quite a um, thick-skinned person that we thought we knew and we always felt that she was maybe a little bit abrasive maybe a little bit rushed when she was on the phone and truthfully i didn't comprehend why i didn't ever stop to think what's her story why might she be being like this what does her typical working day entail and so to just spend 45 minutes the 45 minutes that i was going to be on my walk yesterday But that conversation started and I thought, I don't want to end this call because this is really interesting. This is really insightful to just hear somebody else's perspective and have it challenge your perceptions to the absolute core, because that's what it did. I have a completely different opinion of this manager now, a positive one compared to what I did 45 minutes earlier before that phone call started. The call outside of the actual contents of what we spoke about, the call opened my eyes because it made me realize that a new perspective and a new level of understanding about anybody and about the situation that they're going through and about their life and about their opinions and about how they arrive at being the person they are when they're in front of you, all of those things can be unlocked by just asking a couple of questions, by just letting your guard down and be honest, by just having the most basic of conversations and listening to the other person. And maybe that's something I don't do enough. Maybe I don't have truthful, honest conversations with essentially complete strangers to try and comprehend their life and see if I can learn anything from them and see if I can gain a new perspective. And so, yeah, that's that's just a thought that's been in my mind for the last 24 hours since I had that conversation. There's nothing more to say about it other than that it really opened my eyes because if I can learn so much and have my opinions change so much in 45 minutes by just having a conversation with one person imagine what that can do if i have that same approach with every person that i interact with 
And so that's it. That's all I have for this week. A very, very mixed bag worth of thoughts. Um, yeah. All that's left to say is that next week you're going to be hearing a conversation between me and Tom Harwood. Tom is the senior reporter at Guido Forks. He knows in great detail all things Westminster, all things politics, all things UK media. It is an incredibly interesting conversation. We cover so much that I can't even go into detail as to what we cover because I can't remember. There is just so much of it. It's just a really, really interesting conversation. A conversation that taught me a lot about politics and how it really works. It taught me about what it really is like to be a person on Twitter who is essentially a character in as much as people have an idea of who Tom Harwood is and then they read all of his tweets through that uh, that view that they have. So he gets like thousands of mentions a day. Lots of them are abusive. Um, it taught me about uh, breaking news, how that really works, how it feels to break a big news story, particularly when that big news story is about one of your friends. Just an incredible conversation. Tom is a really interesting person. This conversation that you're going to be hearing this time next week is uh, one of my favourites so far. And so, yeah, all that's left to say is make sure that you're subscribed to Life and Lessons on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Or follow me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm at SpoonerSean, S-P-O-O-N-E-R-S-E-A-N. And you'll be the first to see when it drops. You don't want to miss it next week. It is a really interesting conversation. But until then, I hope you have a good week. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you back here this time next week for episode number 58 of Life and Lessons with Tom Harwood. See you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.